So hey everybody, welcome to episode 308 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario. And I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. We also have Jaime Lopez Jr. on the line in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Um, yeah, we're just going to give him some fact check here. Um, Jaime was talking in the after show about a show that followed on, on the heels of Babylon 5, which I, I have to say, I don't think I ever watched an entire episode of Babylon 5, except for the fact that Bill Mooney was on it and he was he was from Lost in Space, but uh, uh, the original Will Rod. Will Rod Robinson, but um, yeah, never watched it, but apparently Crusade is the show. Was that the one you were thinking of, Jaime? It probably was. Is that the one where they were trying to deal with aftermath of something? Like an end of the world or hand. something of that nature? Know. I don't know. It's a, it's a set right after the events of Babylon 5. Call to Arms. I guess that must have been a special episode or something. Maybe a maybe after show episode. Anyway. Maybe a, right. a limited series or something. All right, yeah. So we were talking about um, Apple and Ireland um, last week and in res- respect to their, their claim of uh, their, their appeal to not have to pay the back taxes. Um, it turns out that Apple's Holly Hill Cork factory was opened directly by Apple as an Apple-run manufacturing facility back in like the 1980. So they managed manufactured a number of things, and, and at one point in time they were they manufacturing iMacs. So that's probably how I I remember seeing the Made in Ireland uh, sticker on them. Um, I do know they were doing. I think they were doing Apple support there or Apple tech support from there as well too. But uh, so the, that was like Steve Jobs kind of time, like time frame. Obviously, I guess I, 1980s would have been like uh, Scully and those guys too. A eh, Mark. Um, um, but uh, and, and apparently it was it was so much it was like uh, it was like zero tax like uh, Ireland had a program where you could come and it wasn't just Apple it was other manufacturers that could pay zero tax if you went and uh, set up your setup shop there so that was obviously a very attractive deal right and uh, I was talking about Sosumi last week I got the, my my signals crossed Sosumi was actually uh, in refer, refer, reference to in reference to the um, ongoing arguments that uh, Apple Computer had with Apple Corps which were the publishing wing of the Beatles band. And uh, I think when Apple first chose their name, um, they promised the Beatles that they would never get involved in music. And then sure enough, you know, years later, they started doing stuff. And I think famously, George Harrison went into a studio and saw a Mac or an Apple computer sitting there and went, hey, what is that? And, you know, madness and lawsuits started coming out. And that's where the Sosumi comes from, is from the whole reference to um, to that. And I don't know if we have it in our Ask MTJC. I mean, I guess we don't. Um, friend of the show... Um, um, I'll have to get his name for later, but uh, mentioned to me, he asked me like why why we wouldn't mention Butthead Astronomer with with respect respect to Carl Sagan because I think they they I don't know if they changed the code name of the Carl Sagan machine to something else, but they ended up calling something maybe that one that same one Butthead or BHD which stood for Butthead Astronomer. So that's another famous Carl Sagan kind of story from Apple early days of code names and things. But let me just see if I can pull that guy's name up here before I forget. He responded to at MTJC. I gotta look at my phone. Maybe oh, uh, oh a friend of the show, Alan Edmonds, was the one mentioned uh, mentioned that he also mentioned Sokotoa, I may that uh, in high school. Yeah, the mnemonic for remembering the mathematics. Yeah, uh, yeah. trigonometry stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he says uh, it suppose it depends on where you live, but here in the UK, my teacher made us laugh by pronouncing it Sokotoa. 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 No wonder if she actually meant soccer uh, for. 
the first part, but that was a long time ago. He says she said. Oh, and it was, it was sorry. It was Olaf Hellman who mentioned uh, why did, why I didn't mention uh, Carl Sagan and Butthead and Astronomer and the same same thing. So I, I responded to him that we had to have something for the fact check this week. So there we go. All right, and um, we were just talking before the show. Like I, I know I've mentioned what break a leg means. You've probably heard people say break a leg when it comes to like theater or acting and things like that, right? And um, but those of you who followed me on this show and other podcasts know that my my wife and partner Carol is an is a former dancer and um, she explained to me a couple of times what break a leg was and I asked her again last week what it was and um, she said that back in the days of vaudeville and things like that you know the the side panels on a on a you know like a a, st- a stage like where actors act and things put on plays and dances and stuff like that there's like these vertical panels that run up and down and they kind of obscure the audience view of backstage or side stage right and those are called legs right and the idea it was that when you broke a leg you didn't it wasn't that you actually physically broke your femur or whatever you actually stepped onto the stage and broke the barrier between the stage and the leg and um it had to do with vaudeville days if you didn't get on the stage you didn't get paid so it was sort of wishing somebody you know good success as a a dancer or vaudevillian actor to basically make it onto the stage and get paid so that's where break a leg actually comes from Hmm. yeah there's a little different than the alternative facts if we're (laughs) going to call them that because these this is not my area of expertise but i'd always heard it maybe mystically so is like this uh counter superstition thing of like if i say good luck to you that will cause bad things to happen so if i wish the opposite for you to literally break a leg then it will not happen and therefore things will go good so you jinx you jinx your chances of actually breaking your leg which means you won't break your leg which is a good thing yeah you would think for for a dancer or something that would be the case but yeah Yeah. she explained to me to break a leg actually meant to break onto the stage right and get paid Hmm. which is interesting anyway all right that's uh, that's our sort of follow-up e-fact checky kind of stuff um so yeah and the first thing in the follow-up today is uh, there was a a press release on uh, by apple on the 20 on the 16th it's now the 22nd as we record that they're updating their coding terminology we've we've mentioned this a few times in the past few weeks and that's um with respect to the the times and the the struggles that are going on and and, you know questions about symbolism and and uh, you know statues and what what they mean and that kind of stuff and obviously we're supportive of you know all the people who are are protesting the various you know injustices of the world but apple is is going through their um, documentation and their apis and they're removing any non-inclusive language across their developer ecosystem as it says here on the tin so they're going through and and changing the names of things in their apis that that uh, are not respectful of of persons and personages and struggles and that kind of stuff so um, they've even updated the apple style guide to reflect these changes i haven't really gone through and noticed anything particular but uh, i just thought that was an interesting historical point to make uh good on apple and following up on that covering you know covering up on that or, or head covering we talked about head coverings um face coverings actually i think in with respect to the wwc um uh announcement about them new emojis will have more face coverings and so we just assumed it was face masks uh, but i kind of wondered aloud whether it also meant other head coverings and sure enough it does it includes you know religious symbols and uh, like you know hard hats and fireman's chief, fireman's hats and chef hats and face masks and you know hajibs and things like that so uh, apple has added a bunch of uh, and do rags too um, has added a bunch of things to um, to the emoji set that you can create you know customize your emoji with right so, and that was for world emoji day which was apparently on june july 17th is i don't know if it was is there did you guys know about world emoji day <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so we so, so you really mean me probably on this 
one. This is more my wheelhouse. But no, I, I, I failed in this respect that I did not know that that was, and, uh, was it emoji that. day, like, like normal emoji day or, or memoji or animoji Apple specific. Uh, yeah. I, no, it's, it's, it's emoji. Not cause I just thought maybe it was related to the date that they announced memoji. I don't know. No, it's emoji. Like, you know, the, um, goofy little characters that we've been putting at the end of our text messages since, uh, Adam was a boy, dare I say. Um, yeah. Anyway, my nephew Adam is, you know, turning 35 this year. So he was a boy at one point. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So that's my, that was actually in a tweet from Tim Cook, I should point out too. That's where I saw that. So, alrighty. And then, uh, we've talked about Apple's fabled, uh, over the ear headphones. I think Mark's looking forward to these, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Potentially, and, yeah. uh, yeah. So there's sort of a very brief article here, um, talking about from, I think there's a company or a group of people call themselves patently Apple who look at these things and, uh, they've come. So one of the things about Apple, obviously, is they, they like to put, you know, gestures onto the interface or the physical surface of, of the device. And, uh, some people wear their headphones over their head, but if you have a, if you're a styling guy like Jaime, you might want to wear the, the headphone with the, the band that joins the two together around the back of your neck, which a lot of people do too. And uh, apparently this patent talks about how, uh, the device will actually recognize the angle at which you are wearing your headphone and the gestures, gesture directions would still work. Um, that's kind of cool. And I don't know if it says anywhere. So we're still waiting for these fabled. Uh, it's probably by the same team that's developing uh, air power, right? So, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're sort of, uh, they're, they're speculating that uh, it'll be, you know, significantly pricier than the Pro, uh, the AirPods Pro, which are 249 US, I guess, right now. So, and I think, Jaime, your, your sweet spot's 349 Isn't that your sort of go-to price? That's the go-to price for sort of audio-based things from Apple, the <laughs> varying degrees of success. So, sure, why not? Um, I mean, you, it, it seems a little silly, but, you know, depending on how you view like the AirPods, the AirPods Pro as, you know, is that a miniaturization sort of thing and you pay a premium for miniature or do you pay more for size, which the headphones, you know, they're, oh, they're over in this diagram, they're over the ear headphones and they have a little band that goes, you know, over your head or, or behind the neck. And if you put them side by side on a table, you could say, well, larger volume means pay more money. I'm, I'm kind of mm-hmm. curious which way right. they go with these. Yeah. Well, interesting. I mean, you can go all the way down from $35 for like a pair of Sony over the ear headphones all the way up to, I'm sure Bose and those kind of people make really expensive ones too, right? Yeah. Um, somehow There's have... a $300-ish price point for, for good headphones from places like Bose. Well, Beats also makes yep. over, over the, yeah, Beats mm-hmm. is Apple's company. Alrighty, so over to you, Hame, for some many things. Yeah, if you were asking yourself, is uh, macOS Big Sur, is it 10.16 or is it 11? Well, apparently the answer is yes. <laughs> because um, uh, it, it looks like it depends on uh, apps and, and which version of the SDK that they were built with. So according mm-hmm. to this article, uh, SDK 10.15 and earlier will respond that Big Sur uh, is major version 10 and minor version 16. And mm-hmm. we'll talk about the compatibility reasons there. And apparently if you build with the new release of Xcode, which features the macOS 11 SDK, that major version will be 11 and minor version 0 as you would expect. And oh, there's a handy-dandy little tweet about, hey, this is uh, partially for reasons of, like, if you had code that was a look-for-minor version, blah, and and greater than leopard, if, if people are checking that far back, you were, for a very long time, able to assume that all versions led with 10. So why would you ever care? Mm. It's always macOS 10-something, right? Well... This is the first year that that's not true. And uh, 
you know, long time, you know, observers of the industry would say, Hey, didn't Microsoft also skip a version? Why? Yes, they did, sir. They went from eight to 10 for very similar reasons of, well, all that code that's looking for windows nine, something, uh, looking for 95 and 98 is going to blow up horribly if it sees a windows nine. Right. So, Oh, great. Brutal. Is that why there's no iPhone nine as well? Well, I mean, there's no iPhone (laughs) nine for the time being, you know, we'll see. Right. Right. They're saving that. I just, I just, I just wouldn't want to get confused with the iPhone 98 or the iPhone 95, right? Right. Yeah. All right. That's cool. But yeah, it makes sense, I guess, if your if your logic is looking for a, a, an an increment, right? So yeah. There's always pain when you have uh, you know some version number that sticks around for a long time mm. or or follows a scheme. Like I think you're you're kind of in a better place if you're you know in this case like uh, like Google Chrome. What am I on Chrome 875 or something? I don't know. Like it it goes up so frequently that it just discourages people from doing the, oh, well, I'll just check this other thing instead, right? Um, you're not going to have the same sort of situation of like how long it was Windows 9X, right, the thing, and how long has Mac OS 10 something been going on. So it was pretty easy to, to get into these patterns where you, you weren't paying attention to the semantic versioning. Right, right. Oh, all right. And the next... Yeah, this is follow-up because I think we talked about this at some point. Um, otherwise, it would have been in the main part of the show, but Apple has uh, come out as developer program for the Apple Security Research Device Program. So this mm-hmm. is for folks who are doing research-related stuff of, you know, trying to figure out how to break into the uh, into the iPhone, into iOS. Uh, this is a very specialized version. The Security Research Device, SRD, as they say here, is intended for use in a controlled setting for security research only. It gives you shell access. You can run other tools and choose your entitlements. And otherwise, it, it behaves very closely to a standard iPhone to give you, you know, a balance between debugability, breakability, but also being a fairly realistic environment. Uh, and you uh, you are required that if you find uh, vulnerabilities, you, you must promptly report it to Apple. Um, and there's also other eligibility requirements. If you're like, hey, I sure would like to sign up for that. Maybe they'll only charge me a dollar for it. Uh, apparently, there's some requirements here that uh, this is a one-year loan. You must be in an eligible country or region here must be a membership account holder in the apple developer program and you must have a proven track record of success in finding security issues on apple platforms Mm. or other modern operating systems and platforms Uh, you got to be a legal age and uh, you can't be in any u.s embargoed countries and etc there's a lot of caveats there but and you can't be employed by apple in the last 12 months or currently in the last 12 months yeah i I assume that was for the hey remember that bug i left in there (laughs) let's see if they fixed it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yes. or that exploit I intentionally put in there before leaving uh, to to get to, the, the hundred thousand dollar bounty. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. I think we did we did talk about that uh, security device in the past. I can't remember when though, but yeah, I think you're right. That was familiar. Yeah, and I think we ended up talking about it maybe in in concert with the um, I forget their name. It's like Corellium or something. I forget the name of this third party company that Apple is suing over. Um, IP related violations for offering what is essentially a virtualized instance of iOS for security research purposes. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in this case, you've got an official route if you're the, the kind of person that does that sort of thing. Although there are limitations there of like that, that caveat there of you, you have to be known for doing this thing. So I, I guess it's not a place to start with that sort of thing. You must have some sort of track record, which is right. interesting. Um, I am also kind of wondering what sorts of things would be done to prevent people from like reset selling these things, you know, like, 
hey, I loaded uh, this special malware on here, and then I sold it on eBay, and and mm. not only took the money for the person who who bought the phone for me, but also you know added like a credit card skimmer or some other um, you know malware that steals people's identity, sort of stuff. All right, yeah, rolling rolling into our main part of the show on uh, Swift.org. They've got a blog post here about introducing the Swift service lifecycle. If you're wondering what that is, this is related to server-side Swift, and more specifically trying to have a sort of standardized way to start up and shut down um, activities related to server lifecycles, right? So uh, doing database migrations on startup or you know, possibly releasing database connection pools or uh, cleaning up file systems, etc. that surprisingly would just sort of you know, left up as uh, homework, implementation details for uh, the implementers. And now they want to have a more standardized way for it where you have a, um, a life cycle where you can register things that to be done on shutdown of the server and you can register things to be registered at the uh, the startup of the server so mm-hmm. if you you know if you've ever done um like unit tests with exit tests and you think about oh remember how there's all that setup stuff that can run before your tests and there's all that teardown stuff that can happen it's conceptually pretty similar there so if you're not familiar with the server side you you don't necessarily have the um that's the right way of putting it the you know instant throwaway sort of things that you would with apps or like all right let's find if my app gets killed because it can be killed at any time and uh, with servers you, you usually want a little bit more of an orderly startup and shutdown so you don't end up with uh, resources hanging somewhere you know somebody's waiting for a database connection to be freed from the pool and says, oh no well, this server that was just shut down uh, in a very hard way without any sort of organized synchronized way of handling it is now as far as the system is concerned effectively hanging on to that connection and then you eventually run out of connections if that keeps happening so that's sort of the thing they're looking for, you know, graceful startup and graceful shutdown. Cool. <laughs> not sure. We, not much we can say about that, I guess, right? Yeah, I, I don't think either any one of us is uh, really into the server-side Swift thing, but um, the source mm-hmm. is available for this. It is open source, and they're using uh, GitHub as they usually do. Right, right. Okay, what's up next? This is uh, a nice little blog post from uh, friend of the show, John Reed. Quality coding. You might know him as sort of the uh, you know Mister uh, Test Driven Development in the uh, the Apple ecosystem. And uh, to no one's surprise, certainly not mine, he has a blog post here called WWDC Twenty: What's New in Unit Testing. And I've not seen the unit testing sessions yet, but there's eight things here that he he calls out. Uh, some of these are you know really nice, helpful things, and and some I think are a little bit more towards the if you're building a testing framework or you're building, um, you know, a bunch of helper utility methods for your testing, um, some of these end up not being, I think, for everyone, but you know, it's the eight things that he noticed that uh, that were added. So if you were wondering if Apple continued to have a, a focus on it, it looks like they do. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Number eight here is uh, execution time allowance, which I've definitely been bitten by this one. And and as he mentions here, you know, we can get a lot of arguments about, you know, what is a unit test versus what's an integration test. The fact of the matter is, in a lot of cases running integration tests is sometimes your only option and in other cases it's kind of your best option for testing certain things and if you've ever run into the uh all right well this test should take roughly you know five seconds and then you get a mysterious failure and you're like, all right what happened well the server was a little slow because of blah 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 congestion interwebs all right well you know bump it up to 10 and then eventually you've got like a 60 second timeout and you're you're having to do this in your own sort of logic Whereas now you do have a uh, default test execution time allowance that you can just go ahead and set that instead of having to to jump around uh, and and do it with your own home world system. 
So I like that for, for getting rid of those spurious tests, uh, test failures. Uh, in seven, he talks about uh, the pound file path or hashtag file path uh, changed a bit, right? So if you wanted to see where uh, things were, uh, the special pound file symbol expanded to the full path of the file. But it turns out for things that escape me here in the description that there were some uh, security concerns when you're when you're running hashtag file uh, in in production code versus your testing code. Like for your testing code, of course, you wouldn't really care. If like, oh, you know, this specific path to the specific uh, Swift file is exactly where this problem occurred. But in your production code, you, you may not want that to happen, right? You might want to obscure what's going on. And so they added uh, pound file path that you really should be using instead of pound file, since mm, main okay. normal code would be using pound file. So as I mentioned here, it would have been nice if they'd added the file path for you know new usage and then left old usage as is. But I'm sure there were backwards compatibility reasons that had to come into mind. That one's more of an FYI that if you were if you were doing things in Xcode before that were using pound file, you're going to get all these warnings here and in, in the new version of Xcode to tell you you really need to change that to file path. So you'll probably need to commit somewhere when you switch over to like just change all of these things. Hmm. Speaking of spurious tests, uh, XCT skip is a really nice one because you could do skipping of tests in a much more graceful way than merely commenting out the code, which is almost never the right idea. I've certainly been in situations where I was like, all right, well, this test is really flaky. What do we do? It's like, well, let's just comment it out for now or delete it from uh, from the repo uh, and, and see what happens. In this case, you have something a little bit more graceful where you can say, all right, well, um, under these conditions, just go ahead and, and skip this, right? Um, I think they might have shown that in relation to like being able to check like, oh, if you're on iPad, don't run this test because we don't have some you know, particular capability that only iPhone has, as an example. Hmm. And it shows those things as a, as a new symbol. So instead of green check mark and uh, what does bad test look like? X's, red X's. Uh, mm-hmm. You now have a little uh, little gray symbol and you can see. So it'll be a little bit more obvious that if you're looking for everything's green and you're like, what's that gray one? It's like, oh, that's right. Because I was running this on an iPad versus an iPhone. You're doing that sort of check. So that's nice. Number five here is that uh, instead of doing all sorts of weird little dances with having positive failure conditions, if you understand what I mean, where, okay, if this bad thing happens, you know, go ahead and return failure. You can just say, all right, I- I'm just going to s- straight up throw, right? So your setup mm. and teardown methods, as I mentioned, for, for unit testing can now do, um, you know, you can now throw exceptions for those, which is nice because it usually, and, and he talks about it here, that if you've got something where... You know, let's say you're pulling something from the file system, like some uh, pre-canned text file, like a JSON response or something that you use to, to run through your tests. And if for whatever reason that completely fails to do the thing that you want, like it's a little inconvenient to have in your testing code of like, all right, well, in case this content happens to not be there, then I'm going to return failure. It's like, well... That's going to happen for tons of tests, and it just muddies the waters of what you're actually trying to test. Instead, really, what you wanted was, if my setup didn't load the JSON file, then it should just throw, and then that'll be a hint to me to go fix whatever happened there, like what just happened to me. Um, maybe somebody <laughs> renamed the file, or I thought I was looking at the right file, and it turns out I was looking at the wrong one. You know, those sorts of things happen. It, it makes it a little easier to figure out, and I think your testing code ends up a little bit cleaner. Cool. Halfway through, number four is call stack breadcrumbs on failure. 
years. So uh, I've definitely <laughs> run into this before, and I'm kind of curious to try this out in the new Xcode where, you know, eventually when you write a bunch of tests, you start seeing lots of patterns of like, hey, you know, I'm doing a lot of this same sort of thing. Um, but what you end up with when you have a failure is like, oh, this thing failed in this helper method. All right, that's uh, that's not super helpful. Uh, there's like 20 tests that could have been in. Uh, the breadcrumbs from the call stack gives you that better hinting. It's it's a little bit smarter to figure out, well, okay, yes, it failed in this method, but really it was this test that was calling the method that, that ended up failing. That's pretty nice. That, that's a big, big help. So you don't end up with the, let me comment out one of these at a time or run these one at a time to see which one it was that ended up failing sort of thing. On to Objective-C. Yeah, I... Uh I was reading this one. I didn't quite get it because I didn't do a lot with um, Objective-C style of capturing, you know, file name and line number with C preprocessed macros. And I didn't really get the um, the instance call stuff. So John here says, <laughs> as I'm very hand-wavy, I'm doing a really poor job of describing this part, uh, that he part of the reason he wrote OC Hamcrest, which is a uh, testing tool, was to do a whole bunch of this stuff for you. But now um, that you do have the Xcode uh, call stack breadcrumbs and you don't have to do fancy tricks get good reporting, your test helpers can assert what they want. And uh, you can see the failure message right next to the call site. I, I think this one was really more for people who are writing uh, testing frameworks, which is probably why I didn't really get it because I have not done that. But again, we'll have the link in the show notes for those of you <laughs> driving at home, uh, since I obviously did a very terrible job at number three. Uh, number two <laughs> is XCT issue for custom failures. So you can, uh, you can now uh, record your own types of, of arguments there, which is pretty nice. Uh, I think for, again, folks who are probably more writing their own uh, frameworks or at the very least a whole bunch of helper methods to do this thing, but it is a little bit more uh, formalized. You can add attachments and associated errors and et cetera. So that's cool. You know, all these sorts of things that you end up doing, um, again, as you start building out a whole, you know, collection cadre of uh, of tests, you end up with something. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little uh, cleaner and nicer here. But, and and this is, I think, clearly saved the best for last. Number one. Well, before we move on, though, I, I read this as XE tissue. Yeah, that's how I saw it first. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, carry on. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll need that tissue for your tears of joy for number one, which is offer to switch schemes to run tests, which if you've ever said, all right, I'm going to run the test and you end up being in the wrong scheme and you're like, well, I ran, you know, I, I hit the little keyboard shortcut to run the test. What's going on here? Xcode is now smart enough to say, hey, this scheme doesn't have those tests. Maybe they wanted one of these other schemes that has, you know, tests in it. And then it'll suggest it to you, which is nice. So instead of you wondering like, oh my God, the tests are broken again. What happened? Why is it not even running? Do I need to restart Xcode? Do I need to reboot machine? Do I need to wipe out the operating system and start fresh? Do I need to delete derived data? No, maybe you're just running the wrong scheme. It's one of those quality of life ones that seems, you know, kind of silly, but at the same time, I think the first time that it ends up saving you the hassle of figuring that out when you're, uh, you're not quite caffeinated in the morning, or maybe it's the very tail end of the day and it's been a terrible day. And, you know, you're really struggling because like, dude, I'm hungry. I want to just be done with this already before I can finish. Then you'll understand how beautiful this is. And then you'll wonder, like, how did we ever live with the system being smart enough to figure out like, hey, dummy, I want to run tests. But I very unwisely chose something that didn't have tests in it. So, you know what I wanted. But you tell me a nice little suggestion of where to go. And of course, he's just written a, a book on testing uh, iOS, sorry, iOS unit testing in Swift. 
um, for Pragmatic and Publisher. I think it came out like a month or two ago, just before WWDC. So, so none of the stuff is in there. But no, of course, yeah. right? <laughs> the brutal life of yeah. that. But I, I imagine that might be more of an impact for the. I assume there are you know physical paper copies of that, but for this sort of thing, I think they tend to have um, like a live updated. Live yeah, yeah, you know, go download the latest version of the EPUB or the PDF or HTML, whatever sort of options they have for that. Yeah, the book just came out. Like, I mean, I, I remember watching his video when he announced the book um, a few months ago. I probably still get it anyway. We just look at it and go through it, you know, because it's it, unit testing is something that's a challenge for a lot of us to get our heads wrapped around. Right? It is. There's a whole sort of set of schools of thought of how to how to go about it. You know, it, yeah. it's so weird that we we call it unit testing and we generally agree on on there being differences of some sort between unit testing and uh, functional testing and integration testing. Now, if something that you are looking at is a unit test functional test or integration tests will cause all sorts of arguments <laughs> uh, everywhere in the industry. So it, it's it's sort of weird that everybody sort of identifies that these buckets must exist. However, assigning individual things to a particular bucket has been really hard. I've definitely seen right. uh, code reviews go sort of sideways of like, hey, is this really a unit test? Is it not? It's like, well, at what point is the correct boundary to sort of test versus not test? Uh, are you testing too much? Are you not testing enough? Mm-hmm. I, I think there's still, um, unfortunately, still a lot of art to that sort of thing. And I definitely appreciate the sort of work that folks like uh, John Reed put towards trying to turn it into an engineering practice of, all right, well, these are the sorts of things that you'll want to test. These are the sorts of ways, the different patterns you'll need. Um, so there'll be sort of more stuff being done and sort of fewer arguments back and forth on on doing things. Mm-hmm, for sure. All right. Cool. Well, that brings us to our pick section as we whip through today's show. Um, this is a, a post that uh, I picked up from uh, Designated Nerd, uh, friend of the show Alan Shapiro. Um, lots of cheap link to it that uh, that I saw it, but it's a, it's a um, a matrix that uh, this gentleman has come up with. That uh, I'm assuming is it Dorian Roy or is that a pseudonym? Yes, we'll go with Dorian Roy. Um, anyway, uh, or it could be Raw for all you know. But uh, yeah, so he's updated this uh, matrix that he's put together, uh, which covers um, all of the iPhones that models that are are pretty much out there. Um, he's added the. Um, yeah, he's added iOS 14 compatibility. Yeah, so um, he's updated the, the um, you know, the, whether it's got kind of ports it's got, whether it supports NFC, you know, different things that you might want to know, you know, with Touch ID, Face ID, Bluetooth versions, um, you know, the resolutions, which are always a challenge for um, peoples, and, you know, what whether it's like, well, even things like OpenGL, OpenGLES, whether it supports that and what version, so on and so forth, and what the uh, OS that came with it is and what it currently runs, right? So it's all the way up from the, all the way from the five, 5C and 5S, which are, I think, the lowest um, 64-bit machines or iPhones, and all the way up to the second-generation SE. Oh, yeah, it's got this, uh, all the different iPhone IDs and things like that, so it's cool. And what they'll run in terms of um, OSs. It looks like uh, the 6S is the lowest one. It'll run iOS 14. Or is that just in the beta? I wonder loud. There you go. And how much RAM each one has as well for operating with. Yeah, and capabilities around NFC being split up between, you know, isn't accessible by your app, so the device only supports Apple Pay, but supports reading and writing, and can it do background read? 
machine. And also the, the versions of Bluetooth are... Oh, I was going to say they were curious, but I didn't realize that the iPod 7G was slammed in there in the middle. I was like, well, that's so weird. Why is it like, you know, it goes from 4.2 of Bluetooth to 5 and then 4.1. I was like, yeah. who made that mistake? Like, oh, okay, because it's an iPod. So there's limitations there. But, you know, that, that sort of makes sense. Um, hmm. Even the Geekbench ratings, too, are in this, this chart. Wait, so looks like the 5C, and that would make sense, is not a 64-bit device because it has the ARM V7S. Right. And then the first 64 is a 5S. Okay, I see now. Sorry, it's because so many of these repeat that it was a little hard for me to see what was different yeah. on the very first one. Yeah, that's true. The 6 isn't either. Or 6 is, no, yeah, 6 doesn't support uh, the latest OS either, I don't think, right? 6S is the, is the bottom. Yeah, this is the first time in a couple of years that they've eliminated any devices. I think the 5 and the 5C got eliminated back before iOS 11, I believe. Mm-hmm. So it's been a couple of years. The 6 has had a pretty good life. But uh, yeah, it looks like it's now, it's now gone. It was inevitable. Yeah, I'm sure 6S is going to go soon too but that also includes the se in that group right because i think the se is a is a six in a smaller body or six s i guess or was it a seven i don't remember maybe it was a six mm-hmm. but it's it's interesting when you look back in time remember what the six was the six was the first of the large phones and it was such a revolution when that came out it doesn't seem like it was that long ago yeah mm-hmm. it, and it caused that huge spike of of purchases because did, people really did. desperately wanted a larger iphone yeah right right yeah i wow it doesn't feel like doesn't seem like it was that long ago but it was if you look at this chart man that was a, a long time let's see what, well it was like one of our first first years that we were on this show we started looking at the sixes right buying them up and that sounds see. about right because i ended up getting a six plus in that generation with the six yeah i'm gonna count yeah, down so here. 11 would have been 2019 uh 10s 10s max 10r would have been 2018 10 and 8 would have been 17 7 7 plus would have been 16 6s would have been 15 yeah, six would have been 2014, which is when we started. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, looking at this chart, I had a six plus, a seven plus. I'm still rocking the 10, and whatever they come up with, I'm buying unless it actively hurts me in some way. I'm ready. I'm ready to upgrade and really kind of hoping that they'll have uh, a combo of face ID and touch ID. <laughs> mm. Even I'm wearing a face covering quite a lot when I go out, I kind of would like to have uh, touch ID as a secondary option. Yeah, it would be nice if it was, if it was true choice. It's true. But but here's a here's a sort of little thing too that the very bottom or the very beginning of the chart the five and five C uh, that was running capable of running iOS six remember the iOS six to seven transition right so mm-hmm. on this chart it's the only only phone that will run or could run iOS six that's interesting hmm. I, I guess the and the code names here iPhone five one five two five three five four would that be the different colors of the models perhaps because the the five C had four different four different colors or something like that is remember could be for the five see yeah a lot of times there were it was a remember there was a cdma versus a a uh, oh right uh, yeah what was the other one um uh, <laughs> my mind it's yeah GM, GTM, we didn't have cdma GTM. here in canada we had the other one was, was it gtm yeah, i don't know it was something like that gsm maybe gsm yeah that's what we had up here i don't know what you guys we have both at&t was we're going with gsm whatever it was okay and cdma was uh was um horizon sprint sprint i think it was sprint yeah. And yeah. there are and certainly those mobile networks have changed over time, but I do remember there being like, all right, the Verizon one has a different uh 
device identifier. It, it is different enough. It's got a different radio in it. Right. I think AT&T T-Mobile ended up sharing one. I don't remember what happened with Sprint. Uh, and it's generally what does happen. I, I think you guys are correct, though, that I vaguely remember that for the 5C, I think the different colors were different device identifiers, which answered mm. the question of how did these phones know which color background to use when they blew <laughs> it up? It's like, well, which, oh, right, right, it's a very right. simple map of, you know, I'm iPhone 5 too. Cool. That must mean I'm a green one. I don't know if that's right, the actual right. map, but you get the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. And I didn't realize that iPod didn't have uh, any sort of biometric thing, right? Like the, the 7G, the seventh generation iPod, um, which started the whole revolution here, uh, came out in May of 2019, right? doesn't have biometrics. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess it's intended to be more of like, uh, you know, you, you give it to the kiddos and it's reasonably mm-hmm. locked down. You use a passcode every once in a while, but otherwise it's like quick unlock, let them play games, let them watch videos sort of thing. Yeah, but by the same token, though, you can put any app you want on it, right? So a lot of apps, you know, that require authentication would look for biometrics, right? Oh, yeah, so I mean, but they, they fall back to they fall back to passcode and passphrase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I realize now when I said, because uh, people might wonder, hey, I would say he would like Touch ID as a backup option. I don't want a home button again. That's I've, I've lived a very long time without one. Hmm. Uh, I need some alternative technology to to face that which was really what i want right i don't even necessarily want a, a touch id uh coming back as you know you know the front screen holds it or like a like a software controlled touchpad or a you know on the main screen or or a backside those are options touchpad. you know those are options both of which we, we touched we talked about extensively back in the day yeah i, I think happened. you know now is the time yeah. to to reward my my constant wearing of the apple watch and say like well if i can unlock my mac if my apple watch why can't i unlock my phone with my apple mm-hmm. watch as well especially when yeah. they have all yeah. those fancy proximity detectors like i'm w- totally willing to buy a brand new apple watch to get this magic uh, because I, I, I do feel like we might be in this situation for long enough where the hassle of of dealing with face id not working when i've got a face covering on is you know it, it, modern times need uh, you know modern solutions to modern problems interesting it really just dawned on me that the se has a home button right the original one or the second Gen. Yeah, the SE2G. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at that in in this chart, and um, it really kind of bothers me a little bit that this the thing that's the the device that's all the way to the right of this chart, the very latest greatest on this chart, still has Touch ID. <laughs> yeah, the 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 technically newest device they offer, although it's very certainly a, a, a compromise. Yeah, it's not 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 a flagship. Mm, that was a fair chunk of RAM for operating five three gig, right? That's not bad. Yeah, yeah, well, an underpowered device for sure. Yeah, intentionally. All right. So what do you got for us, Jaime? You know, Back to the top of the show, right? Yeah, <laughs> this is fo- <laughs> real-time follow-up to our follow-up segment about, uh, what, what exactly was it called? Updates to coding terminology, including yeah. uh, going from uh, master to main in your, uh, your Git repos. Well, uh, Mr. Kilo Loco, I think we, you, your, one of your picks was was like one of his videos, wasn't it? Some, yeah, some time Kilo, ago? Yeah, he's a friend of the show, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's got the, I'm going to have to bookmark this so I could start doing it for all my repos. How do you change the branch names so if you want to know how do i change master domain is very helpfully giving you sort of two different ways so if you do not have a remote repository so you know you ran git init sort of locally and xcode for example will helpfully request you to do that when you create a new project uh he's got the the commands there that you need to run and then something that's going to be pretty common
common if you're working, um, you know, in a development team, or even if you're just like, hey, you know, I sure would like to have this code available on GitHub or Bitbucket, uh, GitLab, etc. Some hosted version. It's like, well, that means you've got some sort of you know, upstream origin or other named remote, and he shows it. All right, well, here's what you would need to do to change those uh, those references. So this is actually pretty helpful because I knew that uh, creating the branch, you know, from master and main is pretty easy. I knew the um, how to create or how to designate the default branch on GitHub. And I assume that Bitbucket and GitLab do other things. But what I didn't know is like, all right, well, how do I change my origin? How do I change my remotes? Those are the sorts of things I almost always have to go Google searching and find some Stack Overflow thing. But you don't have to here because there's a handy little uh, blog post here. You should probably just have ready. Yeah, I think I mentioned I saw a tweet which sort of had the similar kind of sort of steps to because people were complaining about the amount of work we'd be required to to change the name of the, the you know, master domain uh, kind of thing, right? So, but somebody had tweeted that just really this many commands, right? Um, it's not that many, and I think you know if I didn't know these, right? The the sort of <laughs> the I don't know if it's the lazy way, but certainly the uh, I'm naive and don't know what to do way, which is something I would probably do if I didn't have this handy mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. But if I just blow away my current directory, <laughs> make the changes in, in in GitHub, and then reclone and re-download the code, and then everything's set up nicely, right? Here, here's where this is going to get really ugly, I think, is say you have a remote repo and a lot of users have with their local copies of it. And so someone goes and changes the remote repo using this procedure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you have all these local versions that are still pointing at the wrong thing. And what if those people have uncommitted changes and branches that are still alive? And I, I wonder about that. I don't know. Yeah, just, it's one of those disruptive things. Like I'm looking at a repo yeah. that I have. I'm like, oh, there's two forks. Dang it. I was looking to make this change. Yeah. <laughs> and now I might open up an issue in the repo of like, hey, I'm going to change this thing. By the way, this is the date in which I'm going to do it. And if people are like, oh, what the hell is going on? They could look at the, um, you know, pull request issues sort of thing. Oh, okay. I get what happened there. Right. Cause, cause you're right. You know, if you had some very popular repository that like 10,000 forks uh, that people have, have tried managing, they're like, what the heck happened? What's going on? I just, dude, it's Friday afternoon. I just really want to be done with the week. You know, I, I feel <laughs> yeah, very sorry for if, that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, probably the cleanest way to do it is if you can get, if you can say, Hey, on this date, this is going to change. And if you have anything that you need checked in, get it checked in on that date because it's going to get blown away. And then you're going to be expected to delete your local repo and just clone the new version. That's probably the cleanest way, but that'll annoy a lot of people. But <laughs> but that's the cleanest way because you'll probably you'd lose all your local branches if you do that. Now, in theory, you should have all your... Well, it depends on how it's set up, I guess. I was going to say, in theory, you should have all your local branches pushed up, but that's only true if you if you are in a situation where you can do that, right? If you if you are in a if this is a public repo or something, you can't really push all your branches up. Yeah, yeah. I it's it's a tough thing. I'm I'm hoping that the GitHub's Bitbuckets and GitLabs of the world will add if, if you are listening, <laughs> turning directly to the camera and saying, please <laughs> make a feature that makes this easier, right? Like it'd be nice to have yeah. something that would yeah. sort of migrate and do the commands for you. And even better is that, you know, you know that there are forks out there. It'd be nice to have a little notification go to those people and say, hey, by the way, this thing just is going to change or even after the fact is still pretty helpful. Like, hey, this thing did change, you know, master change domain. So now you got to do go do migration magic on your side if you want to 
keep up to date. Um, th- that would make it easier for sure. For sure. I look forward to the yeah. the future when it'll be sort of pretty much the norm, right? When all of the different tools and plugins and etc. that have built up around you know, just the assumption that master is the default branch in Git. <laughs> Eventually, it'll just be main, and it'll be kind of weird of like, hey, why is this name not weird? Oh, this is an old repo that never got migrated. It's still got master. Ha ha ha. Let me go switch it to main. And mm-hmm. then you'll be very glad that we talked about this on the show and that you've bookmarked this this link that we'll have in the show notes. <laughs> so I wonder, like in in Xcode twelve, if like you know, if you just create a new project in in, um, in Xcode twelve um, or even Xcode eleven or ten or whatever, I don't know if Apple can update those. But um, if it'll if it'll start naming things main, I guess that's part of their part of their their statement at the top there, right? Yeah, I think twelve um, is doing it, but you, you've got a good point. I don't know if um, bug fix versions uh, of existing Xcode before mm-hmm. we get to to September if, if those are making a change or not. I don't know. Right. Not, so but if you make a if you make a if you go into like say GitHub or Bitbucket and you create a new repo, does it automatically create the master branch or sorry, the main branch? And would it name it main? Well currently it does create the master branch, so you were correct in saying that. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean so yeah. I wonder when they'll start switching to calling it main as well, right? Well that's that's gonna depend on Git itself. Yeah. It's because uh, it's not so much GitLab GitLab or, or GitHub or or uh yeah. or Bitbucket that does it. It's it's the underlying, underlying mainline Git yeah. tool. Cool. And how many different flavors of Git are there out there right now? I don't, mm. I don't even know. I gotta um, be honest, yeah, I am very bad about this, but I largely only update when I see the big scary, oh no, Git version blah 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 has this critical <laughs> security bug. Yeah. Oh, that's what I'm uh, running. I better go update mm. my Git. It's one of those yeah. you know parts of the plumbing that I never really think about until it's broken. Because Git actually works amazingly well. You'd think for a thing as critical and and as in some sense complicated as it is you'd think it would break more often than it does but it actually works really well yeah the 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 mechanisms of what it does are brilliant and tried and true and tested the the ui the interface for it is inscrutable and they've they've tried doing some updates that we've talked about of like hey instead of uh, you know, get checkout. Like, what if we had get switch? <laughs> you know, like, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to switch to this branch. I know, by the way, checkout minus B does a branch first and then switches you over. It's like, well, okay, well, th- that's not super obvious. You know, there's, there's so many yeah. different um, switches that will, you know, you could read five different, you know, commands in a row and be like, are those all the same command? No, they do wildly different things. It turns out this one has minus X, this one has minus C, this one has minus P, and like, it wildly changes what it does, which is, I'm sure, something that made, you know, sense to Linus Torvalds, but, um, you know, for for other folks who, who, <laughs> who didn't design the thing, it's like, it's such a huge barrier to entry, and I'm, I'm very glad to see that they're making crosser, uh, inroads towards making that better. But you're right, Mark. Like it, it just does its job pretty brilliantly. Yeah, the fact that it works on these, you know, massive repos that are, can be gigabytes in size, uh, and you know, have you know hundreds of, or thousands of different branches it's keeping around and and tracking all the different paths through all the different branches up and through the merges and all that. The fact that that all just kind of works is actually pretty amazing, <laughs> in my opinion. Good job. Linus. Yeah, interesting. I, so I have a stealth pick that comes out of this this topic. So while you were talking, I wanted to find out what the minus U um, meant uh, subcommand there. Um, I'm assuming it means change the name of the branch, but uh, or the checkout branch. But um, I still haven't found it. But but while I was doing that, so I went into Git and on the command line here, and I just typed Git help and then a few other things to sort of come out with it. But I did not know this. Maybe you didn't know this either. But there are two. There's a two part tutorial built into Git on how to use Git, and 
it's called, if you type git help tutorial, then you will get the basically walkthrough um, how to use git and like introductory sort of lesson for you. Um, and as well, if you really want to know what all these different commands are, um, besides saying git help, you can do git help minus A and git help minus G, I think. But if you do help git help, uh, git help glossary, it'll give you a listing of all the terminologies that we use when we talk about git, like add and commit and all this kind of thing with the little blurb which defines what the what the actual uh, range um, means. So that's that's kind of cool. So just uh, built, I mean, within Git, as we just said, it's it's got its own little handy tutorial, right? So normally on Unix machines, you say man, I'm going to do it right now, man, Git, see what happens. Yeah, there's also a Git, Git manual as well, right? So Were you asking what the push dash U? Yeah, has? dash U, yeah. That just sets the upstream. Oh, does it? Okay. So, so in this example where he says git push dash U origin main, yeah. he's saying git push to this brand new up, upstream that I haven't set for called origin mm-hmm. branch main. Okay. Yeah, I have been using Git for so long and for a very long time. And to be honest, kind of today, I've treated it as if I know these sets of normal workflow commands, I'll be all right. And if I get in yeah. awful trouble, I'll find the one Git guru in the office to come yeah, yeah. <laughs> come unmess up my, my branch. Yeah. Oh, I, I still, to this day, I've been using it for years too. And to this day, anytime I need to do a reset or a revert, Mm-hmm. I always look it up yeah. every time yeah. because I want to be sure. And it's, you know, you make a mistake with that and you're in big trouble. Yeah. So is it the minus M handle that's basically changing the name of the branch? Git branch minus M master main? Yeah, that's one I didn't I didn't know about okay. until I saw this article. Hmm. Yeah, that's not one that I've ever had to do before. Cool. Right. Yeah, so the, the one where he's unsetting the upstream that breaks that connection, right? And then Exactly. And then he creates a new one. And then he pushes yeah, it. Yeah, creates a new yeah. upstream. Cool. Well, yeah, it's amazing how much how much Git sort of handles for you. It's you know, I think it's cool. I, I mean, I like using a GUI version of it, but you know, I do every now and then fall back to the command line. You know, especially when I'm doing web work, I, I usually use a command line for web work. I always use command line. I just got into the habit of it, yeah. and and now I see you know the 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 young engineers they all use their GUI, yeah. and yeah. inevitably they get into trouble at some point, and there's something they just can't do in the GUI, and yeah. I'm just like, just do it command line. It's like this. Like, yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> And get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a I'm a hybrid. I prefer using GUI for most operations. Um, uh, and I'll talk about the ones that I think are critical that I I, I save for the command line. Um, I use Git Fork, which is the free open source. I think it's open source. It's certainly free. Um, you're basically a, a Git Tower clone. So I used Tower for a long time and then said, yeah, I'm not too happy with this subscription model. Um, so I switched to, to Fork and it bugs you every once in a while, like maybe once a month for, for payment. I think I'm going to go throw them some money the next time it does that, uh, just to show my, my patronage. But uh, I do like using the visual to see the, you know, sort of the visual diff of what's changed. I like, um, you know, being very surgical of, you know, committing certain parts of files and not the entire file uh, in, into separate commits. But the thing that I know is that I always like using the command line for um, initiating rebases because I just sort of get how that works better through the command line than through any of the uh, visual tools. And I also pretty much only do branch and or uh, you know upstream type manipulation through the command line because I trust it and understand how it, how it works. And uh, if you're dealing with uh, Xcode, 
projects and core data and etc. The GUIs always end up lying to you at some point with some sort of hidden dot folder, you know, package contents kind mm-hmm. of thing. So the command line never lies to you. It always knows what's there. And I don't know how many times I've seen people get bitten yeah. by, hey, like <laughs> I checked out your your latest and uh, core data blew up. I was like, oh, well, this, you know, dot folder didn't get checked in. I was like, what do you mean to get checked in? I look, look at my GUI. Everything's clean. It's like, well, let's go look at the command. Like, oh, the command line shows it's dirty. Oh, no. I don't know what, what causes that, but it's a it's a gen- general sort of yeah. pain item that people run into. Xcode used to have real problems. I don't know if it still does, uh, but it used to have real problems with capitalization and Git. Uh, and and so it would be a case, I remember the classic case was if you had a if you had a asset library and you in the asset library, you tried to change. Well, actually, this one was actually independent of Git. This was just Xcode, as I recall. If you if you change the name of a file in your asset library and just change one character from lowercase to uppercase or vice versa and, let, and everything else was the same, Xcode would get completely confused hmm. and it would never be able to find the file. It went, it went crazy. I think they fixed that one, but for a while there, it was just really bad. But uh, yeah, the, the the problem with Git, I think, was that uh, that the Mac uh, shell is not case sensitive, mm-hmm. right? If you have the same file with all lowercase or all, all uppercase, it's yeah. the same thing to the Mac. Yeah. But in Git, it makes a difference. Right. So it would get really confused at times with that kind of thing as well. Yeah, the simulator is also yeah. forgiving, yeah. But, the, but the device is not, right? Because mm-hmm. iPhone devices are also case and sen- are case sensitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which we found out like back in 2010 when we first pushed our first app. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right. Cool. By the way, do you guys ever use uh, URL session WebSocket task? No, I haven't. It's really good. <laughs> Does it end up replacing so, your need for uh, Starscream and other WebSocket uh, providers? It, it absolutely 100% does. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Unless you need to run something older than iOS 13. Yeah. That's cool. That's good it news. Was new in iOS 13. So iOS 12, sorry. It was new in iOS. No, iOS 13. iOS 13. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's really simple to use. There is one memory leak in it that we found um, in the in the actual Apple, uh, well, in standard usage of of the API there's there is a memory leak so the way interestingly enough the way it works is uh, when you want to send something you just call the send method with the data that you want to send over the socket but when you want to receive what you have to do is you call a receive method and then data will come in and then once data comes in you have to call the same receive method again so it has to always be pending waiting so you have this kind of endless loop of calling receive which is fine works fine as long as the websocket is open but when you close the websocket it turns out that that if if you have a pending receive, which you pretty much always do, then then that pending receive, the closure for that pending receive leaks. It's retained somewhere. So the only workaround that we could find was to pretty much any time we receive something, we have to check, hey, is there a close coming? Mm-hmm. No? Okay, call another receive. And when we want to actually close, we don't close immediately. We set, set a flag, say, hey, close next time you receive something. And then wait, you know, you defer the close until something comes in. And then you just don't call receive again. And then, then it doesn't leak. Kind of a weird thing. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, did you end up having any luck with the was it not the radar feedback stuff i've never i've never uh, used that so i don't know how it differs yeah, radar we, we have fi- we have filed one uh but of course haven't heard back okay so they didn't change that part so you don't <laughs> it just goes right. in you don't hear anything back okay got it right right yeah yeah but at least one other person had the same issue on the the new apple developer forums mm, interesting so it wasn't just us yeah yeah yeah
Right, well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, how many people want to get in touch with you? Where would they find you? I'm on Twitter as at the dev of the hair. Right, and Mark, people want to get, get in touch with you? MarkR at smapsoft.com. Right, and as usual, I am Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machine is where they'll find me. So until next time, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Looking at this screenshot, and I feel unreasonably bothered that I see two blue circle notification badges on Kilo Loco's uh, GitHub. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. If you take a look at the, the from master domain, and you see the screenshot of uh, of Git, uh, sorry, GitHub in the upper yeah. right hand corner, one for his profile, oh, yeah. where he he probably needs to go oh, turn oh, on the latest yeah. uh, UI feature, and then one on the little bell, which means he probably has some you know, pull requests waiting for him or one of his mm. repositories has, uh, you know, something that needs some attention. Mm. It's just one of those little things. Bothers you. <laughs> yeah. It, and I don't understand why it just kind of feels like, yeah. like a completionist of like, I have to get through all my notifications and it makes me, it, uh, it triggers me to think like, Oh yeah, I've got, Oh no, that's not me. <laughs> so you're not one of these people who has 20,000 unread emails on your, in your, Oh, schedule. heaven, heavens. No, heavens. No, at that point you gotta, you gotta declare <laughs> bankruptcy and just create a whole new email Select address. All and Mark read. Yeah. What what about in your junk folder? Does your junk folder have a lot of unreads? Mine does because I have stuff moves into my junk folder automatically, and I don't ever go and read them, so it just leaves them as unread until eventually they seem to go away. So I guess mail does that on its own. Yeah, it's, it's probably on a thirty or ninety day cycle, depending on the yeah, probably the, the backing provider. I I do check my junk folder um, for my various email accounts on a reasonably uh, mm-hmm. high frequency, like once yeah, a week. Sometimes I do get uh, they do get a, a little too aggressive and start putting stuff that you care about in yeah, yeah i have seen that yeah and i don't know how to fix you know the the filtering logic of, i'm like all right so i'm looking directly at this email oh by the way did you did you notice i moved it to inbox also <laughs> i flagged it as priority one of these things should surely trigger you that like the next time you see one of these please put it in my inbox don't put it in my you're junk. Talking mail client or you're talking about your server your, your mail server i don't know who's responsible for this um i don't know if it's the email provider i don't know if it's um you know the mail client considering that it has happened across different mail providers leads me to believe that somehow apple mail is involved yeah uh, well, so i have two levels of spam um because i i basically run a mail server and um i don't mean i don't i don't physically run it but i i host mail right and um uh there's a junk folder on the ser- server where you can go into you log into the web mail and you can go in and adjust the the mail settings you can create whitelists and stuff like that 
that. And, and on there, you can, in the webmail, you can read it and say, this is not spam, this is not spam, and it'll it'll move it to the inbox for you, right? I don't know that in that particular case, I'm like, this is a Rackspace mail, but I don't know in that case if I move it to inbox myself, whether it, it flags it as okay and gets intelligent and learns, you know, what, what, my, what I like and don't like. But then on top of that, Apple Mail also has a junk filter and it's constantly throwing legitimate stuff into junk, right? And I have to go in and say, no, this is real and move it out and so on and so forth. But yeah, so I, I get two levels of junk. I'm just looking at my junk world right now. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, you know, a lot of times I just end up leaving stuff there. Oh, here's one for, from the More Than Just Code podcast. And it's junk. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah. So. Ever since I, I had a, I, yeah. a conference submission that was accepted, end up in my junk folder, I check on a very frequent basis now. Yeah. So it was like, oh yeah, my God, yeah. I probably would have missed that had I not looked. Oh, right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I like I love the junk mail where they, they send you a junk mail and then they say, you haven't respied, replied to my junk mail yet. You know, not that they're calling yeah. it junk mail. And then and they, they get more and more incensed after. And then like, I'm like, <laughs> am I getting through to you or am I, am I reaching your inbox? You know, eventually, like, sometimes, like, a lot of those I ignore completely, but. You know, yeah, you just you have to wonder. Like, is this how people are making money these days? Is this the new new salesman at your door kind of approach? Someone must be. Yeah, no, I mean it must work. Yeah, on yeah. a high enough percentage because yeah. they keep doing it. It must work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This ca- yeah. the calendarly thing that they're using now to you, instead of you, instead of you telling them what when you're available, they want you to book a, a meeting on their calendar. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got people. Late, the latest thing seems to be, uh, can we have a call at one p.m. Yeah. on next? Yeah. Tuesday to, so, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you cannot, and yeah. and I don't respond. Obviously, I don't respond to this. Yeah, it's amazing. I, a lot of times, I just end up going through email, and and I actually learned this trick on your phone. You can you can just swipe to the I think it's to the left or to the right, and just immediately marks them as red. And I just I sit on my phone sometimes when I'm waiting for something to happen. I just wait. Swipe. It's been like that since the iPhone first came. No, out. No, I know. But so that. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. But I, I I've Proved spent it. the last ten years just swiping through email. Like that, I just look at yeah. the subject matter and go, not interested, not interested. It's like it's almost like you know, what's that uh, that program where you you, uh, you look at the faces and no, 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 no. <laughs> You're just doing Tinder, swiping <laughs> yeah, left yeah. and right. As to whether Tinder, yeah, 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 Tinder yeah, mail, yeah. Yeah. Tinder mail. Yeah, that's pretty much what I do, right? So I also also did. Uh, I got got this tip. To, I mean, I used to do this back in the day for for because we had dial up and it was it was heavy to have images, right? Um, but I started doing this because I know that a lot of sites track you based on whether or not you've seen an image, right? And so what I do is I basically turn off uh, images on all of my iOS devices and my and my Mac. And unless I want to look at the images, like I don't love the Im- images, right? So, but it doesn't matter. Like, like I can't remember what, what was I doing the other day that that. Um uh, like you know, I went and looked at a, I went and looked at a product, and then I went back to like you know browsing or something like that, and sure enough, ads for that product popped up. You know, yeah. and I'm using DuckDuckGo, and I'm using you know I'm not using I got all the ghostery stuff turned on, but again, there's they still get your hooks in there somehow, right? So I don't know. Like Apple needs to really work hard to protect us from from these people. <laughs> Sad, right? I mean, it's a measure yeah, like countermeasure game. Every time something gets locked down, they're very very oh, yeah, smart yeah. engineers who go in and figure out like, oh, yeah. if we do this. We can figure out who they are. Well, this is a big reason why I don't. Why, like I said, like I said before, I don't uh, manage the mail server anymore because that was that was a never-ending battle trying to figure out how to filter mail and, and update the. We see this thing called uh, what was it called? Um, it was like a Unix library for spam, and um, you had to go in constantly and update it, and you know make sure it was you know every day and in the morning it was looking learning from whatever, and uh, yeah, it was. Uh, 
constant uphill battle. And and 99% of the email that came to the server was spam. You know, like 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 a handful of messages would come through that were just legit, right? Super frustrating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. On uh, last, actually last week, exactly today, uh, we had our uh, revised tax day here in the United States. Oh, right. right. Traditionally, it's April 15th-ish. And just given the whole pandemic thing, it's like, all right, well, everybody gets an automatic extension if we want it to July 15th. And I submitted my taxes a long time ago. I easily made the first cutoff, you know, before the, the original cutoff before the revised date. But there was what I assumed to be a phishing scam that kept sending email that ended up in my junk folder that was like, you know, right there in the 15th, like, hey, this is taxhawk.com. There's a problem with your submission. Hey. And then a few hours later, it's like, hey, you know, uh, your thing was submitted, but it's not, uh, you know, it's not fully correct. And then eventually it was like, you know, thanks for submitting your, your tax return with TaxHawk. Uh, give us a, a survey, you know, like how we did sort of thing. I'm like, these guys, they know, they know that, you know, there's going to be people who submitted stuff uh, for their tax returns. And then, you know, if you see an immediate bounce back or appears to be bounced back, like, oh no, there's something wrong. Uh, oh, I'm running and panicking. It's getting close to midnight. And I'm sure, I'm almost certain that if I were to click on that link, it probably would ask me for like social security number, mother's maiden name, all these other things as a way uh-huh. to, uh-huh. you know, steal my tax refund or steal my identity or use for other purposes. <laughs> it's slimy. It's terrible. Yeah. yeah. People are horrible. I had to look it up. I'd never heard of TaxHawk, but apparently Apparently, the software itself is legitimate. I have my doubts mm. as to whether the email actually came from TaxHog. I assume it was somebody spoofing them. I don't, I don't know why them and not, you know, TaxCut or, um, or TurboTax. TurboTax. Or yeah. 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 So did you buy some Jamf stuff? I did, yeah. Yeah. But I didn't buy it. Like, yeah. I, I should have bought it. I should have bought it when uh, when I mentioned it to you because, uh, mind you, it said trading was halted at that point when it was 26 bucks, right? Probably because it just opened, right? And um, I ended up getting like just 10 shares at like 39 bucks. But I'll sit on it for a couple of years. I did okay with Facebook when doing that, right? Yeah. Got some chump change. Yeah. But you I, can't make any real money unless you start buying large numbers of shares, though. Yeah, I know. The, the, You're not going to get rich off of 10 shares. No, no. That's true. <laughs> that's true. That's true. No, but it, it's, you know, it's, a, it's an iPad or a Mac. It's a hobby. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Plus, you know, I'm just not a huge gambler. So, Ah, yeah. Mm hmm. That's a rough one. I'm I'm pretty fortunate that I don't really get that um, that buzz from that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm very sort of I plan out. You know, if it's like a like a trip to Vegas sort of thing, like all right, here's precisely my budget that I'm just going to assume is all gone, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like yeah. you know, if it's five hundred, if it's thousand, whatever it is, this is the amount. Yeah. If yeah. I lose it all in the first day, well, I'm done. <laughs> no more gambling. I guess I'll go do other things. Yeah, in- I have no I have no desire whatsoever to go to las vegas none right you know there's more than just the gambling really? there there's a, there's other stuff yeah it's it's a fun place no People i mean yes yeah, I, I just again i don't know i'd rather i'd rather go to like you know europe and go to museums and stuff like that than than that i don't yeah. see any any benefit of it and 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 i know from like you know you go to you go to like a stag or something like that and some and they have like a crown and anchor game there um i get sucked into that real quick right so you know because you you i don't know i don't know any of those words that you said, well crown, it's like it's like it's like a big big wheel like you spin this 
wheel and you put your you put your money on like red or black or or it's like oh it's like roulette it's roulette it's roulette but it's called crown and anchor it's, it's sort of modified yeah. version of it right and you just they spin this big wheel and and the wheel has you know a number of crowns and anchors and parts and spades and stuff like that right and and um you know depending on what how it lands you win certain monies right but uh you quickly lose that money too right so <laughs> you know because it's it's the reason why they have crown and anchor at, at stags is to raise money for the groom right so and whoever Wait, what is stags what is, what is that stag oh it's a it's a part the the bachelor party oh bachelor mm-hmm. party. Oh, oh, oh. maybe stags oh, and so this is a this is not a game that you play at a casino. This is a game that they might have it at casinos. I don't know, but but I think casinos yeah. usually have normal stuff like they have the one arm one arm bandits and the yeah. they have like the baccarat and black, black mostly blackjack, I guess, right? Blackjack tables, blackjack, uh, poker, poker, yeah, Texas, you know, Texas Hold'em, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like Texas Hold'em because you're not playing against the house. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're playing against the other players. Mm, okay. And I mean, yes, the house takes a little bit of a cut, but it's a known amount. Yeah. And and you just need to be in order to come out ahead. It, so if you play blackjack or you play craps, the the game is constructed so that over time you will lose. Over time, you may win a lot in, in any one hand, and you may go way up. But if you play it long enough, you will statistically come out just slightly ahead. below zero. Oh and, yeah. No, in blackjack, you'll, you're you're just slightly below zero, and that's and they do that on purpose because they want you win enough that you think you're doing well. But if you play long enough, you know, if it, games like roulette where the odds are just horrible yeah. you, know, you kind of learn pretty quickly that you're gonna, you're just losing all the time but in blackjack you win just enough that over time you're only down a little bit uh so it doesn't seem like you're losing as much and and you know and it's psychologically you play more uh but uh but poker you just need to be better than the other players yeah. statistically plus plus a, a delta that that accounts for the what the house is taking right right and so if you're if you're just if you're if you're a little better than the other players than, than the rake that the house is taking, then you'll come out ahead over time. Hmm. Again, it doesn't mean in any given hand or any given day you might still lose yeah. because it, it, there is some randomness to the cards, but statistically over time, if you know how to play a little bit better than the other players, then you should come out ahead yeah. over time. What about the dice First thing? They call it craps, right? Is that Craps, yeah. So how does that work? Um, like, like you basically... Same way. I mean, you'll, you will... Oh, how does the game like work? Like snake or, eyes or... and, you know, doubles and whatever. Well, the basic, the basic game uh, is you roll the dice. If you get a seven, you win. Yeah. Uh, if you get a, uh, a a two or a twelve, I think you lose. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, then and any other any other uh, roll, you keep rolling until either you hit that roll again, in which case you win, mm-hmm. or you hit seven, in which case you lose. Seven. Or... And there's yeah, if you hit seven after the first time, you lose. I believe. Oh, okay, okay. Only on the first roll you win if you hit seven. You know, I could have this wrong. So but two, but two and twelve are not good things to roll, right? On the first roll, I think after the first roll maybe it's okay i don't i don't really remember i don't know i don't play graphs very often yeah um but but again the odds are you know perfectly constructed so that you will lose just a little bit over over time if you play exactly correctly hmm. if you play poorly you'll lose more right 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 over over time right. and blackjack's the same way if you play poorly you will you'll lose a lot more but if you play exactly perfectly correctly mm-hmm. theoretically correctly mm-hmm. statistically over time it's like you'll you will you will win like it's something like 49 point something percent of the time and you lose 50 point something percent of the time mm-hmm. so so if you play exactly right it's you, it's just kind of a you'll you'll end up just just slightly down and that's enough to keep people interested yeah hey by the way did you see my tweet that i i put a, we found a ruler that carol's um, father used to use he was an engineer right and it's basically two inches long i know it's a wooden yeah. ruler on one side it's 
measured in 40s, 40ths of an inch, and the other side is measured in 20s of an inch. Do you have any idea what they would have used that ruler for? No idea. <laughs> Measuring short things? Yeah, I have no somebody idea. Said, what, somebody said, what, what, somebody said a specialized thing. Somebody said rule of thumb, right? So yeah. Yeah. Let, me, let me copy this thing to the, so you can see the picture. It's, 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 yeah, it's ridiculously short. Just like We were looking through and we found some slide rules, stuff like that, like Carol's hung on to, right? But the weird little ruler, eh? Yeah. What the heck is that? I even looked up this Dixon Hemben stall. I think that's just a, a paper or ruler supply place in in, in Dublin, right? So yes, yeah, it's weird. If you look at the ruler, it's broken. It's broken. Each inch is broken down into twenties, or, or maybe it's just for really fine measurement, right? Like because this is this is this would have been like in in I don't know thirties, I guess thirties or forties. Mm. You no, know, he was when he was in the war. So he was seventeen when he went to join the RAF. So hmm. maybe it's just you know. If you if you're out in battle somewhere and you can't really be carrying around a big long long ruler. <laughs> no, this is from his one. engineering days. This is when he was yeah. studying engineering after the war, right? So oh. yeah. So yeah. It's just a weird little ruler. Yeah, I was assuming that it was specialized for things that tend to be around that size or where space is at a premium and you don't have like the ability to get a caliper in there. Yeah, right? it was so obviously it's for pre- precision measurement, right? But uh, with a really sharp pencil, right? Yeah. Odd all little ruler. And of course the quarter in there for scale. I mean, is it meant for like gems or something? Like looking at the quarter <laughs> for scale, I'm like, well, what would be roughly around that size? Like, all right, sir, I'm gonna, you know, give an evaluation of how much this this diamond is. Like, well, how big is it? All right. Well, no, I think I think like when you're when you want to get like a like you can measure the rough, you know, like foot yard inch down to like a certain size, right? You get 12 inches and you know so many twentieths of an inch, right? Or because because we do obviously imperial rulers are divided into you know. Uh, Sixteens and thirty seconds and sixty fours, right? The engineering rulers. So maybe this is just a different kind of calculation that you would need for. Well, eighth eighth of an inch is is pretty standard in machining. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was an engineer building bridges, so yeah. who knows? So how come you have a U.S. quarter there? I'm curious. Because it's uh, standard. <laughs> I put it. I always put a U.S. quarter in something when I when I take a picture of something that's that uh, for scale, because you guys know what a, a U.S. quarter looks like, right? You have no frame of reference if I put a Canadian quarter in there. Yeah. If you put a loony or a toony. Well, I'd have sure. no yeah. idea what size those are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I do know there is something. But in this case, but in this case, I would know from the ruler. <laughs> <laughs> or would you? Well, I don't know. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Maybe maybe it's for measuring quarters. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe it is. Yeah. <laughs> if they're legit or not. Oops. What did I? Click? It is kind of interesting that it's got the twenty on one side and the forty on the other yeah, side. I don't, yeah. know. I don't know if that's. Well, I mean, it lines up with. The, the markings, yeah. With the markings. It's an odd one. Huh. It is an odd one. Yeah. So, Tim, I've got yeah, questions yeah, yeah. about Terminator Dark Fate and Jumanji The Next oh. Level. Are these just free on Amazon Prime for you over there yeah, in Canada? Because yeah. they show up yeah. in Amazon's Prime Video app. However, uh, I can either rent them or I can start a one-week free subscription to Epix, but they are not included on Prime here in the United States. Wow, that's weird. Eh? Yeah, that's a bummer. Huh. Yeah, yeah. I never know these days, Like, especially when I'm using it, looking on the Apple TV, because I was, I was looking on the Apple TV and I saw something that I thought was interesting, and when I clicked on it, it you know, I was going to see, because it was like in a, a, like a, they had this cheap you know 99 cent rental or this you know like it was a real cheap bucket i just wanted to see you know you go in there to see what like looking at the remainders bin at a, at a store back in the vhs days right and i went in there to see what was in there and this 
this one particular video which looked interesting. I clicked on it and it said Prime Video. So the Apple TV would would has offered to to let me watch this video that they're selling to everybody else for ninety nine cents. But because I've got or four ninety nine or whatever, but because I've got Prime Video, they're they're offering to link me into my Amazon app, right? So which I have on my Apple TV as well as my as well on my physical TV, right? So I just thought it was interesting that that they're, that rather than trying to dupe me into paying them for the movie, which I could get for free on Prime, they just linked me to Prime, Prime directly, right? Yeah. So yeah, and it's, yeah. So the, I think the big movie this this week is uh, or last couple of days is um, is Dark Fate, right? So I watched it again. I saw it in the theater. You saw it in the theater, didn't you? I did not. Or, so I was all excited to watch it on oh. Amazon. And the same thing well, then, with yeah, Jumanji. We could talk about level. it on our first episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jumanji first level was good. That, that's I think that's the only time I ever watched the Jumanji movies was was you know, on a plane somewhere, right? Flying from some part, somewhere to somewhere else, right? So yeah, yeah. Instead, um, I think we talked about Greyhound, right? The the World War Two one from uh, Apple TV Plus with uh, what's his name, Tom Hanks. Um, the other one I watched was um, Old Guard on Netflix with Charlize Theron. Oh yeah, right, right. It's the one where she right. and and a couple other special people the they can't die you know they get mm-hmm. injured they heal they they die but they resurrect immediately yeah yeah so they're like band of mercenaries it's, it's pretty good uh, mm. i don't know how yeah. well it would have done very similar to greyhound i don't know how well these would have done out in the theaters you know right. in a normal world uh, but they make pretty good you know saturday and sunday sort right. of movies mm, cool we're creeping up on on baseball returning right major league baseball yeah. starts friday yeah right? and and the blue jays are, are banned from canada right yeah yeah we're we're, we're they decided they they don't want um, anybody crossing the border because our borders still closed right so yeah so they can't have games at the Sky Dome which they they were going to do because they, the thing is we have the Sky Dome Hotel or it's called a Renaissance or Renaissance Renaissance as the English say um, but yeah it um, so they could technically come stay at the at that hotel and then and then go to to the ballpark without ever being exposed to anybody or anything right so yeah weird eh yeah it's a very very strange world we're in and you know we'll, yeah. we'll see what ends up happening it's i don't know I, i'm still shocked changing sports here but i'm still shocked that the nfl still hasn't gotten its act together it's like come on guys like you of, of all the of all the sports you had the most amount of time to get this squared away uh, and and they haven't so now i, I think they're not going to play preseason games um, I, I guess the next step would be a shortened season but but who knows it's it's changing it's definitely changing and in lighter news tomorrow 9 a.m pacific and nhl seattle is supposed to be revealing the team name that's the oh really yeah oh, they cool. put out a teaser today asking yeah. folks to get ready so i'm, I'm holding out hope holding out hope for the kraken for seattle's nhl team well, we'll, we'll see what ends up, ends up happening the, with the branding stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't have a, a lot invested in the NHL now, but come 2021, I'm going to have to have a deep hatred of the, of the Maple Leafs. Yeah. Oh, why? Is, is Seattle going to get Yeah, the, the expansion starts in 2021. Ah. So the... Uh, yeah, waiting for the Kraken to be released. I'm or... hoping it's the Kraken. I'm really hoping it's the Kraken. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that's, that, that was my choice on, on you know whenever they did some poll. Uh, yeah. I I don't think... Did we did we talk about the name of, uh, of the arena? Did we not talk about this guys uh so no, so key arena so. which key bank was the long time uh 
sponsor of uh, the mm-hmm. of Key Arena in, in Seattle, where uh, previously they had the Seattle Supersonics NBA team, and now they're going to have that as the hockey arena. But Amazon bought the rights, and the naming rights, they decided to name it the Climate Pledge Arena, mm. which is very strange. Uh, it is. Uh, and, and green is in the theme, so the, I guess it makes sense. Uh, I'm going to assume that people will refer to it as the Pledge, uh, just to tighten up that uh, that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a similar thing for CenturyLink Field, where the Seattle Seahawks football team plays, they call that the Clink. Uh, very similar to Lincoln Field, where the Philadelphia Eagles play, which is called the Link. I don't know. Mark, are there any other short uh, shorthand for any of the, the Boston teams? I'm not familiar with the... For the stadiums or for the teams? For, for the yeah. stadiums um, or arenas, fields that they play on. Yeah, not not so much. I mean, Fenway Park is just Fenway. You know, it's famous in, in what it is. So this has that. Um, Patriots play in... Uh, where do they play? Box Pro Stadium, I think is all it is. Kind of oh, there's the Garden. <laughs> the Garden? The garden. the garden, right, right. Yeah. No, no, it's not the garden. No, no, no. Garden. It's the garden. Right. Yeah. And so the, the Bruins used to play, right? Yeah. I've been there. I've been to that building. Well, they've they knocked it down, and built a new one. Oh, it's not there anymore. Yeah, it used yeah. to be attached right it's to the subway the station, location. right? Yeah, it's in the same spot, but yeah. they just built a new one. I think the first yeah. time we went to Boston, Carol and I stopped there to check out the the sports store. It was like you know middle of the day kind of thing. Yeah. I've never actually been in it, but you know, of course, I went. That's where my hero, hockey hero, Bobby Orr, played. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've been in it, but not for a Bruins game yeah. and not for a Celtics game either. Right. Yeah. So here in San Jose, we have SAP Auditorium. Yeah. SAP, what is it? I guess it's Auditorium, uh, but it's commonly known as the Shark Tank because the Sharks play there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like there was a missed opportunity for SAP to have uh, like a Canadian arena and then you could call it the SAP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it would have worked. It was it was there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll call it a day. What do you say? Already. And this call. All right. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.